So, um, we've been reading through the Sermon on the Mount the last couple of months. So, um, we are up to Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. So, I'm going to read it from the NIV version. And it includes an extra sentence that was in the notes at the bottom of the page of my Bible, saying it was in some late manuscripts, but I'm going to include that. So, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So it might be helpful to just start with um, what we've been going through so far and what we've learned from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus um, has been telling us that there is a better way to live And that better way is God's kingdom, playing by God's rules. God's way is very different to the natural world that we live in, and particularly those of us who live in the West. As we are reminded in Isaiah 55, verse 9, the Lord declares, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. So let's make this personal. What? We, what you need to realise, and me, about yourself, is that as a believer, you belong to a different kingdom. And Jesus is teaching the standards that are expected there. It's his norm. The whole chapter that we've read so far contains many promises, so let's remind ourselves of a few of them. The Beatitudes say that we can have the kingdom of heaven, we can receive comfort and mercy, we can inherit the earth, We can be filled with righteousness. We can see God and be the children of God. Also, Jesus explains that he has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfil it. And he goes further than that, saying, there is more to this kingdom life than tick lists and external appearances of goodness. Like some of the religious teachers at the time, God is interested in our heart and what's going on inside. So in the message version, um, which is like a paraphrase, a modern version of that particular passage, it says, You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then, you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best. The sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless. The good and bad, the nice and nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? In an English thing, do you expect a medal? Any one of the mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You are kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. 
Live generously and graciously towards others the way that God lives towards you. Oh, that was a really good version. Um, so in the, I think, challenging verses that we are looking at today, the specific reason and the incentive that we are promised is that if we follow Jesus' instructions and obey his ways, you may be the children of God. And um, I don't want to sound like a whiny child, but I really want to be a child of God. I'm like, let me be that God. Um, who really doesn't want that? So before we get into any of the detail, um, I think it's worth just being aware, being warmed that it, it's probably tempting to feel overwhelmed by the trickiness of this passage. So let us open our minds to the fact that if God asks us to do it, he will make a way for it to be possible. So this uh, bit of scripture is a sixth repetition of Jesus saying, you have heard it said, but I tell you. So he really has got a point um, that he wants to make about worldly perspective and um, what we've seen and what we've been taught and how radically different God's kingdom is. So carrying on from Mike's talk a couple of weeks ago when he uh, talked through the scripture about an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, this particular um, verse goes a pretty large step further than saying, just don't retaliate. Here, Jesus is saying instead, so your replacement step is to love, bless, do good, and pray for those who curse and who hate you. So in other words, um, it is radical because we need to take our usual human instinct and do the absolute opposite. So I think naturally um, we may want to retaliate, we may want to harbour a grudge, but Jesus is saying love, bless, do good, and pray for those who curse and hate you. So it's like going on a journey. And for all Strictly fans among us, we know all about the J word. Um, what we're being asked, this is kind of the pinnacle of it, really. It's like the bit at the top. So we've gone through, don't hate people, don't be angry, don't be, look lustfully at people, don't make oaths, etc. And then we lead up to this um, particular instruction from Jesus. And I think God knows how ingrained we are in our thinking which is perhaps why he emphasises so much, you have heard, you have heard. I think if we see and hear things often enough, it's quite easy to believe that they are true. My daughters, for example, um, watch a lot of TV, that a lot of it is American, and they sometimes seriously refer to a lift as an elevator. So I'm always putting them straight on that one. But um, in this particular bit, we have an is an, also an interesting example of how us as people can even distort the laws we choose to live by. There was nothing in Jewish law stating you should love your neighbour and hate your enemy. In Leviticus 19.18, it actually says, love your neighbour as yourself. And they'd already watered it down a bit by removing the part about loving others as you love yourself. But the other part was a man-made Jewish custom, largely from the Pharisees, who disliked Gentiles, anyone who was non-Jewish, and they considered them as enemies rather than neighbours. So let's be careful about who influences our thinking and how absorbed we are in the culture that we live in. So the instruction to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us seems, to my mind, impossible. And I think 
naturally. It, maybe it is, probably it is. And um, as parents, we may teach our kids not to hit other children back, but I'm not sure many of us expect our children to love them in return. And um, when I mentioned to one of my daughters that I was doing this talk about loving her enemies, her lovely response was, that should be easy for you, mummy, because that's what you do. <laughs> Big tick for me, happy days. But um, unfortunately, the reality is not quite as good as she may think. Um, she was, I asked her, she was referring to times when, um, as a child, as a child, she's a child, when, when they were at school and other children were unkind to them and came home and told me, I might say, should we pray for them? You know, they might not only better, they might not have been loved like you've been loved. But it's really interesting when, um, when things hit, hit the pan, because recently my daughter started at a new senior school and um, a child there decided to be quite persistently unkind to her. Um, so I prayed for the person um, and did try to love her and to just, you know, to do the right thing. But my daughter came home recently and told me that this person had suffered some trouble herself in a similar way. And my response and my thinking were along the lines of, there you go, she deserves a bit of her own treatment. So um, the Holy Spirit had to give me a bit of a slap because it is a worldly response, not a kingdom one. And my heart attitude has to match the outside impression I'm giving and I'm trying to teach my daughters. And um, my natural inclination may be to wish this little girl ill, but Jesus tells me to do the opposite. He tells me to love her, bless her and pray for her. But let's be honest, in this world that we live in, many people would agree with my original response. If someone upsets or harms my family or me, I want them to suffer, or at least to feel how bad I felt. People can judge us or think that we are strange or a bit freakish when we uh, do the reverse and follow kingdom principles. I think uh, what we're being told to do, and it's not easy, but I think we need to be prepared to stick out, like Kate was saying, I suppose, on the Broadway, going there with Jesus in her heart, like her and Josephine probably stuck out really um, and that's not always comfortable but if we are willing to stick out like a sore thumb not in a judgmental preachy kind of way but as Jodie shared a few weeks ago um, another parent was talking to her about their kids at school and the other parent instantly knew that they wouldn't be teaching Micah to retaliate if there was trouble at school the other parent knew she knew her response because she'd met Jodie and Chris and knew what they would teach their children as they were different. So Jesus tells us that we are different, but it's quite likely that non-believers won't get it. They won't like it, and sometimes they won't like us. But really, what do we expect? We belong in a different kingdom, and I think we need to grasp that. In 2008, I first came here to this building, to Jelly Tots, I had a toddler. Um, I'd never done church and um, I began to get curious about church because the volunteers were so lovely the people who were in this space were different to anyone I'd ever met before so I thought well I'm going to go along and see see where they get it from really and um, so I tried a few meetings on Sunday and my husband was quite supportive and he said by all means Kelly go to church but I don't want it to change you and I didn't set it out I didn't set out to be changed but it did change me I am changed 
And I'm not sure you can meet Jesus and not be changed. So, going back to the passage, continuing in verse 46, Jesus acknowledges how easy it is to love those who are kind and loving to you. Anyone can do that, even tax collectors. And they were probably considered worse than modern-day parking wardens because they were Roman collaborators and lined their own pockets quite often. But what's being emphasised here is that loving the lovable, that's the easy bit. In the natural, anyone, even bad people, can give love when they receive love or can give love to their own people. But loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us, that's what defines us as the supernatural people we are called to be. Our treatment of other people must not depend on who they are or how they treat us. Jesus reminds us that God gives everyone the same chance. For example, in an area of fertile land, God sends sun and rain to make crops grow, no matter the calibre of the sowers. So if God doesn't distribute blessings based upon our behaviour, why would we do that to others? God is totally inclusive and his ways are available to anyone who wants them. I think in order to be able to follow these instructions of Jesus, we have to recognise who God is and who we are. Do we really see ourselves as being poor in spirit? I've written here that I loved doing Celebrate Recovery, but just to clarify, it was the most amazing experience. Um, We did it here. Um, It was a Jesus-centred 12-step programme that James and a team ran in this building. And um, the first few steps were all about knowing and acknowledging that God exists, that we are not God, and that we can't do anything without him. And I'm so thankful that that was drummed into me. I did the that particular course for three years and we only had a week off at Christmas so it was it was a lot and it was drummed in a lot but what essential knowledge to know when we work on our humility and try and kill our ego and our pride we become aware of how much we need God's grace can't earn it we aren't required purely to follow his law we are instead to give up our will and our rights and our wants and to live lives completely submitted to him to be governed by God rather than people, and to work for an audience of one. I don't know about you, but I don't want to count up the hours I've wasted worrying about what someone else thinks of me, or replaying in my head the terrible things that they said or have done to poor, poor me. So just quickly, the last point about this particular section is it made me think, who are we up against? It's not people. We're told that we must love, bless and pray for people. They are not our real enemy. Satan is. So let's um, not forget it's the devil we're up against. And sometimes he works through people to try and harm us. But the word of God tells us how to oppose him. So in James, James's letter 4-7 it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and God will come near to you. So looking at the last part part of this um, section, so it's verse 48, it says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's not an easy verse. And um, Julian, who's been kind of overseeing some of this teaching, when he checked in with me a few weeks ago, he just chuckled and said, yeah, good luck with that. And um, (laughs) 
obviously, we have the difficulty of um, how the word is translated from the Hebrew and all the different ways it's come through, the Greek, etc., all the way through to English. And so the use of the word perfect um, here is not necessarily the way we might generally use it or understand it. Um, the word believed most likely to have been used by Jesus at the time was tamim, which in Hebrew means pure, blameless, perfect, wholehearted or complete. And when Richard and I were discussing it, he was kind of talking about the sense of being mature. So, um, yeah, perfect, uh, pure, blameless, perfect, wholehearted, complete and mature. But whatever the specific definition, knowing God as perfect is, I think, not the hard bit. So in uh, the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 32.4, Moses says this, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. So we can, I think, quite easily get that part. But obviously the difficult bit is how on earth are we to be called to be like him. So um, Robert Yarbrough, a professor of the New Testament, he puts it like this. In scripture, nothing is clearer than the unique holiness of God. So this cannot be a command for sinners to become God's ethical equals. Phew, that's good news. It is rather the call to be imitators of God as dearly beloved children, which you can find in Ephesians 5.1. So children who treasure their parents typically mimic them. Christians should mimic their Lord who is perfect, thus reflecting his perfection in their lives. He goes on to say, a key New Testament verse for understanding perfection in the Christian life is 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Believers are perfect to the extent that they participate in the grace that God offers through Christ on the cross. So in conclusion, what I got from this passage, my, kind of my summary, is um, point one, love and pray for everybody, even those who hate us, even those who hate you and persecute you. Why? So that we are God's children. It is the outward working of God's grace and love that is poured into us. Number two, even the worst kind of people can show love to their own and to those who are kind to them. We have to be different. We are different and we have to show it to everyone in the same way that God offers his goodness to everyone. Number three, when we imitate God, we have the ability to become like him. And when I was young, I really wasn't very confident or very certain of myself. And sometimes, definitely unconsciously, I would take on some of the, the stuff that the people I hung around with. You know, if they were loud, I was loud. Um, it's not a good thing, and thankfully, I think God has rid me of most of that habit. But when it comes to being with God, I want to do that thing. My prayer is that we, as we spend more time with him, supernaturally, we become more like him. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says... And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. <laughs>